Let me tell you a little bit about Bobby. So some of you know the name Pat Lencioni. You might have read some of his books because he's written a bazillion. No, he's actually not written a He's sold a bazillion books. And if you go into airports, some of you will remember what an airport is. Um, and the bookstores there, you'll see his books and, you know, the 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 five things of a team, the I've forgotten all of the <laughs> embarrassing. I've forgotten the titles of all of his books. All you need to know is Patrick Lencioni is a gifted business writer, plenty of talks, a, a huge influencer in this leadership space. And when I picked up Bobby's book, The Gift of Struggle, and there was a quote from Pat Lencioni on the back saying, this is the best CEO you've never heard of. I'm like, that's a strong statement because Pat Lencioni has seen a lot of CEOs. And for him to name somebody as an extraordinary leader, that really means something. So let me formally introduce you to Bobby so you know who we've got here. He is the co-founder and CEO of Populist Group. He is a proud U.S. Army veteran. He is an unswavering champion, unwavering champion for the underdog. And most importantly, an all pro dad to three amazing kids. Bobby is the author of The Gift of Struggle, Life-Changing Lessons About Leading. So, Bobby, it's so nice to have you here. Hail the underdogs, Michael. Hail the underdogs. Yeah. You, you. You, you sign off on your emails, hail the underdogs. And I'm wondering, what was it that made you go, I am a champion for the underdog? Well, we all love an underdog story, right? That uh, we're a sucker for it. I'm a front row fan of it. I feel like I've been one all my life. I think most people have that inside. Uh, but, you know, it, um, uh, it's just always given me hope when I see someone model that transformational story and it helps me say, you know what, I have what it takes. Like, I can, I can do it too. Well, here's a question for you, Bobby. How do you, because I totally get the power of the underdog. You know, mm -hmm. I remember reading um, uh, a book a, um by a guy called Adam Morgan. And of course, I've forgotten the name of the book because clearly book titles are too much for me today. <laughs> but it was all about the power of being the number two in a market and what that gives you in terms yeah. of focus and courage and determination and something to do. <clears throat> but I can imagine there's a slippery slope between being the underdog and being stuck in victim status. So how do you see the difference between being an underdog but being empowered and being an underdog and feeling disempowered? Yeah, wonderful, um, wonderful question. I would say it real simple. I think it's the lens. And here's what I mean by that. Um, like I think being an underdog and a, and, and, and a real intentional uh, leader, it's not about looking out in your lens and comparing yourself and trying to get that ribbon. It's not about that. It's about Hey, am I doing everything I can to get to that place that I imagine? You know, we're all climbing a mountain and there's a place that we imagine that looks and feels better than where we are today. Getting there, like that's the journey. Got it. So you're, you're, you're holding yourself up against an ambition and going, this is what I'm up against, rather than comparing yourself to other people going, I'm lesser than those other people. No doubt. An ambition, an imagination. You know, it's like, hey, who is that person and that leader that I imagine? Yeah, I think one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves in leadership is who am I becoming? And staying on that journey imperfectly, but consistently.
what was the the seed for you to start a company because it is hard to found a company and it is hard to be a ceo of a company and there are plenty of other easier routes to take than to do that and i'm curious to know for you you know as you think about particularly as you know in the context maybe of the gift of struggle what was it that made you go look the challenge for me is to found something what what was the the motivation for that you know a kind act changed my life when i was a young man michael um uh, you know i tell that story in the first chapter of the gift of struggle the bus story yeah um and you know that moment changed a trajectory for me um one person seeing me gave me the hope that i needed you know 15 years later that moment was raging like an inferno inside of me i had the opportunity to take the leap and you know i had a strong enough will and force driving me that hey, the, i often say the first five years are the most fun i never want to have again and uh that force oh. driving me got me through it because you know you're right it's hard it's you know it's not about burning the candle at both ends you're looking for more wax and so right yeah it uh it got me through it i love that and, and i'm going to take that quote away the five years of fun i never want to have again i'm like <laughs> oh oh i hear you on that i totally get that Hey, Bobby, I, I love your book. I love the bus story as well. In it, I'm curious to know which two pages you're choosing to read to us now. Yeah, you want me to just get right into it? Yeah, why don't we jump into it? Yeah, okay, let's do it. So it's it's my two pages are divided in, in into three. So uh, struggle is a gift. It wasn't until I was 18 in the army and three weeks into boot camp, polishing my boots by flashlight at 11.30 p.m. that I began to reevaluate my upbringing. Surrounded by members of my new platoon, I found that most of the others were unprepared for long hours of drills, the sergeant's demeaning profanity, and the systematic breakdown of everything we thought to be true about ourselves. As everyone around me that night complained about waking up at 4.30 a.m. to start the next torturous day of training, I realized it was not that different from the life I had lived at home. I had already endured years of labor in the fields, rising before dawn. I had already encountered blatant racism, and I was already accustomed to living without material comforts or much free time. That night it occurred to me that what I had already experienced was as tough as what I would face in the next few months. For the first time, having struggled early in life was turning out to be an advantage. It felt like a gift not to worry whether I would make it through basic training. I never questioned whether I could handle the grueling physicality and mental strain demanded from new recruits. I simply needed to draw on the persistence, strength, and resilience I already had. I was grateful for the sacrifices my parents had made, but it took longer to internalize that my dad, a humble, powerful peasant, had accomplished his goal for our family. Even though it didn't feel like it as a kid, he had succeeded in providing opportunities for his children that were never available to him. Eventually, I began to study in earnest what struggle had taught me, why I should be grateful for it, and how I could apply the lessons it offered. In each case, struggle gave me a gift. I realized that I could often look back to an event from my past to find the clarity I needed. When I found myself facing a new challenge, my life experience could provide a new story and a crucial lesson to add to what I knew. Ah, oh, that is so great. Um, 
And, you know, your, your story as you tell it in the book is such a compelling one because it is a life where you've had to struggle and how you transformed that in a kind of alchemical way from the hardness of that to doing good in this world in all sorts of different ways. The question I have for you is this, Bobby. Like, I... Like I didn't have the same childhood you had. I had a pretty comfortable middle class background, you know, a white family in a white city in Australia growing up, uh, parents who loved me and supported me, brothers who I who I love and love me. You know, I, my difficulties were were minor. And as I listen to your story, I'm like, do you need to go through that kind of transformative? fire of struggle to to be hardened to do the next journey what if you're what if here's my fear it's like what if you're soft like me (laughs) you're far from soft brother uh yeah here's here's a thought that i have michael and that is uh you know there's a technical aspect of struggle you know facing a difficulty or resistance but the essence of what i want um you know, leaders and others to understand as I am on my mission to transform how the world you struggle is the most painful struggle is the one that we have inside. And that is that yeah. self doubt. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what your gender is, what your story is, what your economic situation is. Like we all have a PhD in struggle. It was with us from the beginning and it's going to be with us in the end. And the struggle that is the most painful is that one that manifests inside of self-doubt that prevents us from becoming who we want to become, getting to that place that we imagine and making the impact that we want to in life. Um, so, you know, often I think it's associated with economic struggle, mm. but I've found that, uh, you know, as hard and unfortunate as that aspect of my life was, it pales in comparison to the, uh, the pain that we all feel inside when, that self-doubt gets heavy. That, that, that's a real struggle. You know, as somebody who is a confidence whisperer, you know, you're like, let me help you see the self-doubt and move through it and perhaps beyond it. Mm. Where, where do you start when you come to somebody, you know, established or not established, older or younger, white mm. or, or a person of color, where where do you how do you sit with them and say let me show you a path through your struggle through your self doubt to something else? I've always done a simple exercise, uh, Michael. I call this I give them the pen because they're going to believe themselves before they believe me. You and I both know that, right? For sure. Um, you know, I've done a very simple therapeutic exercise with leaders for years. Uh, I'll have them take out a blank sheet of paper and. I'll say, you know what, let's go back to the beginning. On the left-hand side of the paper, I want you to draw a line right through the middle of it. And on the left-hand side, let's start with number one. I want you to write down the most significant struggles that you've had in your life. Go. Let's, let's start. One through wherever this, you know, we, wherever we need to go here. And then I want to the, you to the right, I want you to look at that struggle. And to the right of it, I want you to write down the answer to this question. What did that struggle teach you? Yeah. And how has it served you? And my observation has been by the end of that exercise, not only is it, you know, a wonderful deep excavation and 
therapeutic, you know, thought provoking journey for the leader that I'm guiding through there at the end. Like it gives me a lot of fulfillment because I can see their pupils dilate and they will be like, wow, like totally. I have been through some stuff. Yeah. And you're right. This one taught me compassion. This one taught me X. This one taught me Y. It's like, I got this. So uh, that, that's always been a real fun exercise. So hey, I'll just give them the pen and yeah, take them on a journey. Let's go back to the beginning. I love that. There's so much brilliance in that process, in part because of its simplicity. Right. And in part because of that invitation to fully own the, the victimness. <laughs> like, let right. me tell you, let me tell you my struggles. I'm glad you asked. How long have you got, Bobby? Because That's I've it. got a list. Um, and, and you, you, you know, and I know a thing or two about advice. Pardon, pardon, you know, pardon me to interrupt. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, we don't like hearing other people's advice. So I'm not going to tell them. I'm like, I'm not going to persuade you. You know, let's, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's exactly. get you there on your own. You know, um, I have a cleft lip and palate, so uh, a, an odd-shaped lip. The top of my a cleft lip and palate, for those that don't know, when you're born as a child, instead of your top of your mouth being fully formed, it's is a gap. Instead of your lip being fully formed, there's a, a gap. That's why it's sometimes called a hair lip, like a hair like a rabbit. You kind of mm -hmm. got that kind of thing. And um, there was definitely a time in my life where I was quite self-conscious about that because it comes with a slight speech impediment, which people can hear and a slight kind of, there's other ways the face rearranges itself around that, that, um, that particular piece of piece of me. And there was this moment, and this speaks to my experience of your exercise, Bobby, where I went, what if my cleft lip and palate was a source of strength for me rather than a source of, diminishment and you know it's interesting one of you know like you i spend time on stages virtual or otherwise in front of people and i'm like so i have a speech impediment i have an odd set of lips and in fact like what if that made me feel more approachable and more accessible and more vulnerable and therefore more relatable to people in terms of how i show up and how i talk and it was an extremely liberating moment and an example, I think, perhaps of that power of taking the struggle and flipping it to going, how is this a source of nourishment? How is, how is, you may know the saying, Bobby, the wisdom enters through the wound. It's like, how does the wound be that source of wisdom for me? Amen. Amen. Well, one, thanks for sharing that. I mean, it, uh, it's our imperfections that make us human, right? And I, uh, I agree with you. Like, we must all go through struggle, pain, and suffering to get the wisdom. So I'll often say the long way is the shortcut. So yeah, yeah, that, that's how you get there. Bobby, I, I might look at you now and I go, he's transcended struggle. Like he's confident, generous, successful as a businessman, successful as a father, successful as a teacher in this world. The struggle has gone. Now, I'm probably wrong because, as you said, the struggle for most of us is internal and we've all got that in mm -hmm. some way. But how do you renew the commitment to that learning and self-growth if you get to that place of some degree of self-acceptance and self-awareness and confidence? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, if I don't stick to my rhythms and routines, I become an unhealthy Mexican mess in a fraction of a nanosecond. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work for, for me and... Um, I, you know, 
if when, the moment I, uh, I digress, and we all do, I can see the effects of the digression, mm-hmm. you know, my rhythms and my routines. And, and I think that's part of the interesting, um, you know, the, the, that's the primary reason I use that, the mountain as a metaphor often in that, you know, we're always climbing, like we're yeah. always imagining that place that looks and feels better than where we are today. And uh, hey, that climb is humbling. And I, I think at a certain point in time, I personally learned that asking for help is a sign of strength and uh, I'm not afraid to do that anymore. So it, uh, it can quickly digress for me if I don't stick with the things that I know work and simplify those. You know, we're all, you and I are both students of simplicity. So yes, I have my rhythm, my routine. You know, if I don't write, in my, if I don't journal, I journal often, uh, maybe not every day as consistent as I can, but if I don't find myself doing that, yeah, that internal narrative of mine, Michael, like turns into, uh, like a cranky old man that you don't even want to be around. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Look, there are lots of people who do want to be around you. And so if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you in the world? Uh, they can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, my website's bobby-herrera.com. Uh, I'm actively sharing leadership stories, students with struggle stories, wonderful stories that give hope and uh, help people take control of their story. And those are the two best places. And my, my books, fortunately, everywhere, it's helped people from all over the world. And I appreciate you letting me share it with fellow underdogs. Uh, you know, I love your book. I love your storytelling. I love you as a teacher. And in fact, I'm just going to say, you know, the two pages festival is in fact brought to you by the year of living brilliantly. And the year of living brilliantly is this uh, collection of 52 different teachers who share teaching from, um, from their lives. Bobby is one of those teachers. And if you're like, if you haven't been convinced to buy the book and if you haven't, you're nuts, you should buy his book immediately. But he, in his, in, he teaches the bus story that he referenced right at the start of this conversation. And honestly, people love this episode. There are hundreds and hundreds of comments talking about this power of learning to tell your story is extraordinary. And the way you teach it is just dynamic. So I'm encouraging people to sign up there. It's all absolutely free. Um, and Bobby is just one of the brilliant teachers we have uh, there. Bobby, Thank you so much for joining us today. You are extraordinary. I love knowing you and having you in my life. Thank you for listening. It's lovely to have you listen all the way through. Um, My usual request, pass the word along. If you like this, find somebody who else might like it and share it because word of mouth is the best way this uh, little podcast grows. If you really love it, give me some love on whatever your podcast platform is, a review or some stars or whatever it might be. And I just want to say and appreciate you and say thank you. You're awesome and you're doing great.